Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. 60% of people dealing with depression are also dealing with anxiety. So if you are anxious, you are also likely to be depressed. In the case of fear-based struggles, it is much more common to struggle with different types of fears than a single one. So, for example, if you are dealing with panic attacks, it's also possible that you are dealing with chronic worry. Or, if you are dealing with chronic worry, it's also possible that you are dealing with fears of loneliness. Acceptance and commitment therapy is a particular type of cognitive behavior therapy. But traditional cognitive behavior therapy focuses on treating a single disorder, a single struggle, such as social anxiety or depression. The problem with focusing in a single disorder is that the root cause of those struggles is not addressed. And on top of that, if we don't look at the common drivers across multiple psychological struggles, then we are treating problems in isolation, but in fact, they are coexisting with each other. They intertwine with each other. A core characteristic of acceptance and commitment therapy act is to focus on teaching you psychological skills to increase your well-being, mental health, and quality of your life. Instead of focusing on a single diagnosis, ACT tackles the drivers of that particular diagnosis. So ACT by nature is what is called a process-based model, a process-based therapy. In this interview, I chat with Dr. Joseph Kieroki, who is among the top 1% most cited scientists in the world because of his work on the development and promotion of well-being. Joseph works focuses on psychological flexibility or what he calls flexible strength. Flexible strength is a cluster of skills that can be used to promote personal growth and build vitality and valued actions. Examples of skills related to flexible strength are emotional intelligence, social intelligence, mindfulness, psychological flexibility, non-attachment, greed, equanimity, willpower, and emotional regulation skills. In this conversation, Joseph and I chat about the different psychological processes that are part of any struggle you are dealing with. Whether you are dealing with fears of public speaking, anxiety related to your performance, 
fears of abandonment, fears of loneliness, fears of not being good enough, urges to do things right and perfectly, Joseph shows how key psychological processes apply to all those struggles. We also talk about the relationship between psychological processes and evolution. We talk about the importance of variation, selection, retention, and context as drivers of change. And we also talk about the challenges of letting go of all those stories that your mind tells you about who you are. I had a lot of fun chatting with Joe. We totally connected, we laughed, we teased each other, and we talk a lot about how behind all those moments of stuckness we go through, there are key psychological processes and key psychological skills we all can learn to get unstuck and do the stuff that matters to us. And finally, I do have an important announcement for you. I am launching an online class on ACT for Perfectionistic, High Achieving and Striving Behaviors. So make sure to go to the website www.thisisdrz.com and add your name in the waitlist. Hope you enjoy this episode and see you next week. Bye-bye. Process-based therapy. Oh, okay. how was it? Yeah, it was really good. Um, I guess it's the beginning of a, well, I guess it builds on what ACT already is, but it's, a, it's attempting to kind of bring together all these different therapeutic islands. And this is my view of it uh, in a way that I guess breaks down package barriers and, and, and lets everybody from different therapeutic orientations talk to each other and uh, share ideas and share interventions and things like that. So it's a, it's a way of saying, well, in all these packages, whether it's ACT or schema therapy or psychodynamic, what is actually going on inside those things that's mm-hmm. active. And then, so, so that breaks apart the whole, um, I guess, trademark package thing mm-hmm. and, and allows you to kind of say, well, value clarification, let's say is a active ingredient. You could teach this to anybody. This could be taught to hairdressers. This could be taught to, you know, or there might be stuff in schema therapy. That's like, you know, the a mature adult. I'm not, I don't know much about schema therapy, but that it, to an act practitioner, they might be able to understand it and, and use some of that stuff. So it's, it's pretty exciting because we just seem to create therapies every day and I'm, I'm hoping we start, start to right. work together. Yeah. That's right. Um, there has been over the years, all these packages of therapies, right? We have these beautiful acronyms, these labels. Um, but if I can ask a little bit more, you know, a couple of years ago, this was maybe 2003, 2004, maybe, I attended one presentation from David Barlow when he was presenting the Unify Protocol. Um, But at that time, there were maybe 10 groups talking about transdiagnostic processes. And then over the years, that conversation has shifted to talk about more process-based work. How do you see this difference that's talking about transdiagnostic process is different than the process-based therapy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's in the same spirit. Um, I think the challenge has been that, let me give you an example. David Barlow's uh, Unified Protocol was an attempt to bring everything together. And it's similar, I think, to what a lot of ACT people have been trying to do because ACT is a process-based therapy, right? It's Mm -hmm. about, you don't have to do things so 
the idea is that you don't have of a process-based approach is you don't have to follow a protocol to be evidence-based mm-hmm. that that and nobody does anyway no practitioner nobody who's trying to help another person is going to sit there and rigidly follow the protocol so it's about getting at the evidence-based process instead of evidence-based packages now with Barlow, I think that is, he's a fellow traveler, but one thing that I found that limited me previously was that I was always coming from my perspective. So he's coming from a cognitive perspective. I'm coming from an act perspective. Mm -hmm. So like three years ago, I I had this discussion with a friend and colleague who's a schema therapist. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to talk about how we try and help people in our therapy. So as he's talking about schema therapy, I'm converting everything to act terminology. I'm saying, oh, well, that's diffusion. You know, when you talk about the mature adult or the, or the angry child, that's like people are stepping back and noticing their social patterns mm-hmm. and able to evaluate it functionally. And But he's doing the same thing with me. He's taking act things and converting it to schema therapy. Terms. I see. Mm-hmm. So we both, we both have our terms. It's like two islands with different languages. Yes. And um, I think one of the big shifts uh, recently, because I had the same conversation with him, but this time from a process-based perspective, is that there is, instead of insisting he speaks my language or I speak his, mm-hmm. our approach with Steve Hayes and Stefan Hoff and all of them is to use what's called the extended evolutionary meta model. Mm. that's a a big phrase for basically we try and create a language and a model that is not using the specific words of one specific therapy Mm -hmm. that kind of is accepted by everybody so everybody accepts evolution right right. everybody accepts that so so let me just give you a quick example how evolution could be used to understand everything Mm -hmm. on all positive change so you somebody comes to somebody's struggling they're, they're kind of stuck. What do we do to help that person, whether it's a friend or a client? And um, so the key principles of change and evolution are variation, mm-hmm. selection, and retention. Like, so that is the, the most fundamental elements of change that every life science accepts. And every theory of clinical psychology accepts variation, selection, retention in a context. So it depends on the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so if somebody comes to me and they're struggling uh, and, and they're, they're stuck, they're in a relationship that's not working and they're, they're fighting and it's been going on for years and it's, nothing seems to be working. And the first thing we try and do is get them to do something different. Mm-hmm. That may not be leaving the person, but it may be trying something different with the partner. Mm-hmm. Maybe... So that's variation, right? So if they're stuck, we already know that they're not going to, we're not going to, they don't come to us as a friend or clinician to keep doing the same thing they've always done. Mm-hmm. We've got to try something. So that's variation. And then when they do the new thing, they try some new, let's say, relationship behavior. Maybe they start having a date night or they try separating temporarily or you know, they, they kind of turn off the TV a certain time. They just do something new. I don't know if mm-hmm. any of this is going to work right. It's mm-hmm. variation is happening. Once you've, so part of the skill will be getting people to do something new. Then you can have selection come in. Mm-hmm. So is, is this building value? Is this making your life better? So this will sound very familiar to you, Patricia, because it's, it's like values in act, but every 
therapy, every approach has some sort of selection criteria. Um, and then if we find something that's improving the relationship, wow, okay, so this is really improving your relationship. Um, or it might be, let's say you're working with physical health and you're like, okay, so when you eat this kind of food, you feel a lot more energy during the day. Mm-hmm. So we've got selection happening. You know, We're like, okay, yes, we got them to do something new and now it's actually making their life better. Now, how do we help them to keep doing that? Because we mm-hmm. all backslide into old habits. That's retention. Got it. So, and then with the evolutionary, the, this, let's just call it the EAM. It's mm-hmm. the evolutionary meta model. So you've got variation, selection, retention. It's in context, right? So mm-hmm. we know that sharing emotions may be important in a relationship, but maybe not always good in a workplace. So that's context, right? Mm-hmm sensitivity to context and and then it divides processes up in a way that every so far every therapy i've looked at or every approach i've looked at has you know things that target cognition how you think things that target emotion things that target motivation so it, it has six dimensions and then it looks at um kind of physiological level psychological level and social level anyway it's I make it, it's a bit to go over right now, but the point is it's like having a periodic table, a common set of elements of every therapy so that now when I talk to my friend about schema therapy, I don't try and translate it into my language. He doesn't translate it into his. We can go to this common ground mm-hmm. and talk about it. And, and it was, the conversation was very different this time. Last time it was like, I, I would be trying to convert it to act what he was saying. Maybe mm-hmm. just, we were both a little defensive and, taking pride in our own approaches you know well that's just act oh that's just schema therapy you know that's just psychodynamic therapy oh psychodynamic therapy i've been doing this forever so i think process-based approach allows us to kind of say you know here's some common ground and and we don't i don't have to negate what you're doing or Mm -hmm. the value of your approach um because we can stand in this common place Mm -hmm. and talk about it and share ideas and you can retain your distinctiveness you know it's like you you do your intervention. It's like an art, art, how an artist might differ. Two artists might differ. They might be using the same ideas of perspective. They might be using the major minor keys in music. Uh, they might be using seventh chords in music. Mm-hmm. But they differ in how they express that. And so I, I feel like process-based therapy is a way for us to accept differences, but then come together and understand the commonality. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the way that you're talking is making me think how important it is to create a frame. And it seems that process-based therapy is doing that, creating a frame for different models coexisting with each other without imposing on each other. There's yeah. no need to force anything. This model, the EMM, give us that frame. Um, yep. If I can unpack a little bit more, if we hold it as a frame, and that's the frame that we're holding to understand change, how a person yes. changes their behavior. How would you define a process? I keep asking this question and I have read two papers that you guys published. Um, how would you understand a process today? Oh, gosh. I had it written <laughs> down. You're right. Like to, to remember it spontaneously. No worries. Um, it's, it's, oh, gosh. Got you, you got me, Patricia. I'm trying to, I, I really worked hard on the definition, actually, because it was like torture. So, I mean, I guess, okay, let me give it a try. A process is um, something that we target that orients the person towards 
adaptive and even vital outcomes. Mm-hmm. It's something that is, uh, it's a change, it's a mechanism of change. It's the thing that we target in the person that if they start doing that, they yeah. become, their life becomes better. And it's adaptation, I guess. So it does tend to be, have a lot of features. So process mm-hmm. might be dynamic. Um, so let's say we're working with the process of, of, of emotional acceptance. So okay. we want to teach people the power of allowing difficult feelings rather than constantly avoiding and suppressing them. Mm-hmm. So this is a big step and a usually major change in people's life to realize, whoa, um, you know, this distress is not the enemy. So dynamic means that it changes allowing and accepting emotions starts ch- can start to change people's lives and it can happen very slowly mm-hmm. or incredibly rapidly. So that's the dynamic part. Mm-hmm. So process is dynamic. And it, that means also that it, it can go bi-directionally. So you might help people to sleep better, do breathing exercises, exercise, and that might help them to accept more. So acceptance, and allowing of difficult feelings, influences behavior, but behavior also influences that and physiological states influence that. So dynamic, mm-hmm. it's theory-based. So in ACT, we have a very clear theory about why avoidance doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, it produces these ironic processes that when you try and suppress something, you think about it all the time and it comes back even more strongly. So mm-hmm. process is dynamic, changes, sometimes slow, very rapidly. It's theory-based. Mm-hmm. Aggressive. Okay. The so third feature, so these are the change mechanism, things we could do to orient people towards adaptive or vital outcomes. Mm-hmm. Progressive is the next feature of a process. And this means that the thing you're targeting is often ordered. Um, so you might be, if you're working with a client that's been, somebody who's been forced to see you, mm-hmm. and you might, the first process you might do might need to be values. Mm-hmm. Not, not acceptance. For some people, experiential acceptance work, targeting that process may come much later. And the, 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 what I would call a motivational process, which is value clarification, might be super early with a mandated client. Mm-hmm. Or let's say you have somebody who's um, very accepting of their feelings. They're really good at describing to you, you know, and they diffuse from their cognition. And you're like, this is brilliant. You know, Patricia's a brilliant therapist. They come in, they're very psychologically minded. You're doing fantastic in therapy. And then they leave and they come back. And despite having all this knowledge and all this ability, they haven't done anything differently, right? Mm -hmm. So now, if we talk progressivity, then what you probably should be emphasizing instead of acceptance Mm -hmm. might be over over behavioral processes, like activating behavior. Mm-hmm. So that's what we mean by progressive is that, um, you know, you order the, you order processes in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And the other dimensions, so I'm just giving you dimensions. Yeah. But a process is just to change mechanisms you put into play to orient people towards positive outcomes. Contextually bound and modifiable is another feature process. So that means that um, 
what works for one client may not work for another client. What works in one situation, say in a marital relationship, may not work in the workplace. Um, We find that with cognitive reappraisal, young people are less able to use this strategy than older Mm -hmm. people. So that's contextual bound. It's like the age, sophistication of their ability to use reappraisal. Um, Reappraisal works for some, but not for others. Uh, structured true. mindfulness may be another process that you put into play. That's the attentional process. And structured mm-hmm. mindfulness practice may work for some, but really backfire for others who think, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, and finally, the last feature is multi-level. Um, and all that means is, and this is a really important piece of this, I think, that we think of these simultaneously occurring at the physiological level, Mm-hmm. psychological level and social level so for example let's take hope which is mm-hmm. meant to be a trans diagnostic kind of feature of all interventions so hope is the belief that you can achieve your goals and you know how to kind of get there you know you know how to overcome barriers and you know the pathways so it's agency i feel like i can do it and mm-hmm. it's pathways i feel like i know how to do it Mm-hmm. So we want, we obviously want our clients to you know have this this is maybe the a cognitive process i would say so this is interesting so now you know psychologists tend to emphasize the psychological level we're trained in cognitive therapy and we focus on psychological constructs but let's look at hope and how it could be thought of in multiple dimensions mm-hmm. so hope might be something that you know, it's a, so let's say it's a cognitive process. That's the psychological level, but it might also occur at the physiological level. Yeah. Um, so, for example, heart rate variability, mm-hmm. which is an index of how. So, you're just in case people don't know about heart rate variability. Do you want me to explain? Yeah, that's yes. always helpful for people. Yes, I'm trying to kind of talk about hope at multiple levels. This is the challenge. So hope is a cognitive process. If mm-hmm. we, so, the, so just to, let's use hope as an example of how this definition. So by building hope, we orient people towards starting to activate their life and build value and, and actually go out and do things. Whereas hopeless people shut down. They, they, they think that nothing will work and nothing can improve their life. So there's no variation. There's no improved mm-hmm. selection or retention. So Let's say we're targeting hope, a cognitive process. Um, so at the physiological level, it may be easier to make people hopeful if we increase parasympathetic activity and diminish mm-hmm. fight or flight. So That's we have so these sad. two systems. Yeah, we have these two systems constantly homeostatically fighting each other, like fight or flight threat system and then the soothing calm explore system we'll call that the soothing system mm-hmm. and, the, and the threat system so that's i'm talking physiologically now mm-hmm. people like to think like this there's a lot of so heart rate variability is that balance between the fight and flight and the parasympathetic system so both mm-hmm. of these are so that so it's like just to use a metaphor it's like the parasympathetic system is taking the heart to slow down take it easy and the fight or flight system saying speed up there might be something going on here it could be dangerous and so when you're biologically flexible they're both kind of operating on the heart and your heart's varying a lot Mm -hmm. when you're not biologically flexible and i think this would probably be also 
low hope. That fight or flight system is just dominating. The stress is just dominating. The heart is very, very steady. Mm-hmm. You think this is a good thing. It's not a good thing because it means that you've just like your system is just on threat and high alert. It's just boom, boom, just very steady. And that's bad. The parasympathetic system, which we might think of as the brakes, are not, or have, they've been cut or something, you know, and the <laughs> sympathetic system, which is the gas pedal, is on all the time. So one idea is that you, if you can increase heart rate variability, mm-hmm. just balance between threat and soothing systems, then you might be more optimistic and more hopeful. It feels, mm-hmm. you know, you feel more able to kind of, so that's a complicated way of illustrating what hope might look like at the physiological level. Yeah, yeah. Um, can I interject a little bit? Um, so you just shared two super cool examples, one about emotional acceptance and about hope, how we can think of it at different levels in a dynamic process, yeah. progressive and leading to change in a person's yeah. life. Yeah. And we acknowledge that it's context based knowing that this change may be effective and energizing and revitalizing in one particular situation, but not in all of them. Yes, yes. So when I think of emotional acceptance and hope, I'm thinking about what a person experience. Is that a process? Will uncertainty be a process? No knowing, I'm feeling ambiguous, I'm feeling stressed because I don't know how things are going to go. Will that be a process or not? Um, it's interesting. You say that we've got a system for classifying processes. So I'm, I'm trying oh, to think. Lovely. And we've done a re- recent review. It's in behavior research and therapy that looked at all the world's processes that have been identified in mediational studies. Lovely. Okay. And I'm trying to think where uncertainty would fall. Um, sounds like a cognitive process. So you're saying like you want them. So help me out. If I don't know how this podcast is going to go, I don't know how my next session is going to go. I don't know what's going to happen when I jump on a plane and I am prone to get stressed with ambiguous and plan and uncertain situations. I may over prepare, over plan. Um, if I'm on the plane, then we have like five masks with me. <laughs> Sounds like you've done this, Penny. You're such a good example. It sounds so close to the heart. <laughs> no, I'm very creative. <laughs> <laughs> and also I work with fear-based stuff. So it's my cup of tea. So yeah, yeah. if I start thinking, okay, I was an immigrant and, and I was born in the middle of a dictatorship and I grew up in an environment in which fear was shaping people's behaviors. So of course, as an adult, I'm going to be more prone to be hypervigilant. And yeah. it's manageable, but Absolutely. from time to time, I encounter something I know, and I do all those things. And then I don't hang out with my friends. I don't want to do anything because it's not safe enough because I'm very busy preparing. Will uncertainty be a process? Yeah, so gosh, um... So let's let's go through this. You've just about hit every single process. Um, oh, self. So okay. So this is. So I think there's a whole bunch of processes there, Patricia. Okay. And so, like, so you're so what? So let's start with. Let's see if we can at, walk through the problem as you mm-hmm. might see it and conceptualize it. And as we do that, I'll try and say this, pro- I think this is the process, this is the process, this process, and we'll see. And that's a good way to kind of go through it. Lovely. So let's say, so that it's, 
you've got this kind of perfectionist thing going on, this over-planning, this kind of over-preparing, which sounds like it's really messing with your life because it leads to all these behaviors, extra food blanket to kind of, you know, shutting down your social life. Mm-hmm. So can you think of it? Well, a client or, an, or something, just imagine that you're a client or whatever. And when this kind of shutting down process happens, like this perfectionistic, I like, the first thing I want to know is what was the context where that kind of gets elicited. So we want to talk a little bit about context. Okay. So let's think about this podcast. I get that email that says, in three hours, you have this upcoming interview with Joseph Siaroki. And yeah. the way that I think of Joseph is this great researcher, incredible clinician, very okay. well-known academician. And then my heart beats fast a little bit. And then yeah. I say, oh man, what if I mess up? How is it going to go? What am I going to ask? Yep. And then what I do, I start searching all the papers you have published. So right there, I mean, like just to illustrate, like, so I hear cognitive, so the, there's processes that are labeled cognitive process or one of them. And we can see mm-hmm. the worry and the what ifing showing up. So right there, there, all the things we know about helping people to break from worry and all that would be cognitive processes. So what mm-hmm. might you then we also had affect. Clearly, mm-hmm. you've, you experienced the distress of uncertainty. So mm-hmm. the question is, when that feeling shows up, so these are affective processes, what do you, what's your reaction? How do you react to those feelings? Mm-hmm. So we might help you to kind of explore what that feels like when you hit that uncertainty mm-hmm. and practice not reacting. So we might do that in session. Mm-hmm. We might say, okay, Patricia, let's actually go there. Let's go. You've got three hours and you're not going to be prepared. You're going to screw this mm-hmm. up. You haven't read my papers mm-hmm. and you, you've, you've got COVID and you've got all kinds of reasons <laughs> why you're going to screw this up. You should be freaking out. And mm-hmm. I might just ask, what does that feel like in your body? Mm-hmm. Where do you feel it in your body? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what I'm actually doing right there is an effective process where I'm getting you to helping you to experience your feelings, but not react to it with your normal defensive strategies. Right. So doing, and that's variation too, isn't it? Because now mm-hmm. instead of doing a normal Patricia over-preparing, going crazy thing, you're now doing something else. So that would be an example mm-hmm. of an effective process. For the worry, we might do a cognitive process. Um, we might notice the worries, like what if I screw up? What if Joseph you know, sees that I'm a complete imposter. Idiot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, idiot. <laughs> find your voice. Complete idiot. <laughs> oh, like, oh, such a harsh inner voice, goodness. Oh my goodness, this microphone catches everything. <laughs> and if I was, and so this is where we get flexible, Patricia, because, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm honest with you, I do reappraise a lot. I'll say, I'll, I'll play around with it. Like I'm flexibly reappraising, but with cognition, I might say, look, you've, you've done this with lots of people in podcasts and you've always managed mm-hmm. it. You know, you've always done mm-hmm. well. So see, you can start to see how this makes an act practitioner more flexible. Because mm-hmm. when I started act, I was like, oh no, we can't get him to reappraise. We would, I would have gone to something like, notice your worrying thoughts about Joseph. Notice the thought I'm an idiot and da, 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 da. But I might actually do a CBT type thing where I'm like, the cognitive process is, um, you know, you've done this a lot before. Mm 
Now, what might happen then, this is a contextual assessment, I'm trying to put a cognitive process in play. If you push back and start to say, that's bullshit, blah, 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 then I might mm-hmm. let go and do a different cognitive process. Maybe it's diffusion. Mm-hmm. I might help you to, to hold the worries lightly, or maybe you would set aside five minutes just to, okay, Patricia, what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to acknowledge your advisor, your inner voice, and we're just going to give that mm-hmm. advisor five minutes to just have go. So I want you mm-hmm. to set aside five minutes and all you're going to do is worry and write down those thoughts and everything you're worried about. Just let it go. And then after that, you've done your worrying. Um, so I might, I'm just giving you lots of things I might try and mm-hmm. I'll pay attention to what works with you. So I'm getting you to do different things with your thoughts. I'm noticing, does Patricia respond well to this? And if it does, then I'd say, okay, that really worked for you. Wow. So maybe we should do that again in the future. So we've got mm-hmm. effective processes. We've got cognitive processes. Now the behavioral processes, when you were talking about, okay, I want extra food, blankets, I over-prepare, blah, 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 yeah. blah. So mm-hmm. over another process, and that's like, okay, Patricia, let's, I might target that as a process. I might say, well, okay, you're having these thoughts and you're having these feelings and you do this behavior, which takes, consumes your time and mm-hmm. so preoccupying what can we do behaviorally to change that can we set a limit to how long for example you prepare mm-hmm. can we say here's the rule i'm only going to prepare for 30 minutes can we set a goal mm-hmm. to have it done at a certain time and then that's it you know so kind of the behavioral processes might be goal setting mm-hmm. um, setting limits on how long you work on something so it's actually overt behavior is the process i'm talking about here and then you mentioned how it interferes with your friendships and relationships. And mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, I want to motivate Patricia to do something different. So now we're in the motivational processes. So it sounds like you're really clear with your values, but not everybody is. So I might say, you know, what are you losing? What are you giving up here? Um, and that's a motivational process, like making values more prominent so that the value so people have to choose between maybe a long-term value of having relationships versus a short-term goal of alleviating distress and feeling not like an idiot. Mm-hmm. Making that choice clear is like a motivational intervention. Mm-hmm. So we are covering I'm gonna, you know what? I'm going to cover every single process. We got cognition, affect, behavior, motivation, for attention. That's five. So it's like helping you to notice become mindful of when you click into this perfectionistic spiral. So mm-hmm. the whole thing would be building the awareness of starting to notice what showed, so that is even that context, like when does this happen? Mm-hmm. Does it happen to you when you um, are faced with uncertainty and maybe something where you're working with somebody? Um, what, well, you tell me, when do, when do you notice this perfectionist experiment happening? For me, it's when I deeply care about something. When I deeply care about a project I'm participating on, a conversation I'm going to have, that naturally comes with a sense of uncertainty. Because I care. And of course, I want it to go well. I want it to be helpful. So then my mind may go into blah, 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 and my heart too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And so that's more like an, that's the attention process is helping you to see when this trigger is happening, to notice it, 
and to be able to come back into the present moment and, and really be here with me, for example. So if you were mm -hmm. in that perfection expire, you might be thinking, oh God, I got to cover so much today with Joseph. I've got to, I've got to look impressive. I've got to da 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 da. And just noticing when you've gone away into that, I've got to be Patricia, the multi-author, highly successful, and I've got to come out across mm -hmm. like that. You say, oh, I'm doing that. You just gently bring yourself back to me and it's like, you know, that Notting Hill. It's, I'm just a man standing in front of a woman having a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, that, that I kind love of it. That simplified. So that's, so we've got all this. And now one last process. Um, so we have cognition, affect, beha overt behavior, motivation, and I've covered, um, and that one was attention. It's like mine. Mm -hmm. One last, the sixth process is self. And this one's a deep one. Um, it's, it is tied to how you think of yourself mm. and what it would mean for you to make a mistake and then be imperfect. Like, what would it mean for you to screw up as a person? I might, does, what do you think? Like not being perfect, what might that say about you? If you screw up here, you, don't look like mm. super intelligent all the time, but the self, the self is like, what, who's Patricia if she's not achieving, if she's not doing it mm. all, mm. If she, mm. you know, who are you? Like why it's almost sounds like a shield or mm. a protective thing. Like you just, you know, you always appear so perfect. You always look perfect. It looks like your hair is perfectly done today. Even. <laughs> <laughs> So what time it is in, in America? Um, but... It's midday. It's midday. Okay. okay. So you would be expected. You didn't just wake up. Okay. No, not this time. Other times, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's nice. Like, so Patricia, the perfect, the flawless, the unassailable. That's mm. more like the self. And mm -hmm. That's okay to have that. I mean, if the self is that sense of self is useful, but you're saying sometimes Patricia, the flawless, the unassailable, the perfect is not working for you. And it's, yeah, it's like that. So that's pretty deep. I mean, it's like, um, so if we were to work with the self here, mm -hmm. we might, you know, do some stuff where we start to see that this sense of self is just, these are just, it's not who you are. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They're just, a, they're yeah. just the ways you categorize yourself. And we kind of cling to those categories like our egos to protect ourselves, to feel safe. Yeah. And I do that too. I have lots of ego. I cling to um, ideas about myself. Uh, a few years ago, I went through a, a really tough time where I was, um, you know, I see, think of myself as a successful academic and I do everything to be perfect at it. And, um, you know, I, there was downsizing happening in my workplace and I was mm. under threat and they were saying I wasn't doing a good enough job. And this mm. was massively shattering to my ego. Like you don't even realize that you're clinging to an aspect of yourself mm -hmm. until for attack, until it doesn't work anymore. And uh, for me, it was like, my entire definition of myself was as a successful, unassailable academic doing really well. And this just shattered. And I realized how much I was 
clinging to that idea of myself and it almost like destroying the self this so the self is the most complicated mm. process sometimes it was extremely uh, difficult for me to cope with it i felt like who am i i'm at a loss i'm nobody i'm nothing i have no value no meaning so i was clinging to that sense mm. as a way of protecting myself and mm -hmm. um, feeling good about myself and when it was shattered it was so this is deeper than just cognition this sense of self to be able to let go of I'm not, a, I'm just a human being. I'm not like an important academic. I'm not an important person. I had to learn to let go of that sense of self to recognize that that wasn't me. Mm -hmm. And I set that down, that sense of self, and I could just be a human being again. It took years. This is not an easy process to let go mm -hmm. of these senses of self, to flexibly be able to let go of it. Mm -hmm. um, it took years and finally I got through it. And I, I realized, you know, I became more flexible with that. I don't always need to be doing the things that are impressive to academics. So mm -hmm. one of the things that affected me on was like, I would maybe do stuff that was successful for my career that was playing the game, mm -hmm. but wasn't mm -hmm. very helpful to human beings. You know mm. what I mean? So playing the game, you know, it would be like if we were to try and just do, go out of our way to sell our book and that's all we cared about. And we did it so much mm. that we were neglecting the actual reason we wrote the book in the first place which was to, to actually mm -hmm. help people and make a difference so the self is is probably the the in some ways the deepest of the processes um because it's so hidden you know we we just patricia you know who is patricia um it's it's kind of like a difference in a background it's hidden it's you're not really aware of it until you come up against it when you make a mistake or you, you are imperfect and it's suddenly like a, it's not just a oh i have an irrational belief like a cognition it's like a, an existential threat to your entire existence it's deep that's right that's right i think that when we ask ourselves and we ask our clients who are we without the doing who are yeah. we without all the stuff that we do and all the things yeah. that we do to protect ourselves how do you experience ourselves? Yeah. I think that's what you're tapping into, right? The sense of yeah. self. And I relate to what you're describing on the sense that so much of our actions in life get organized around that identity yeah. that we hold Absolutely. on to, like that facade that we have. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you're feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes of this episode are in the website playingitsafe.zone. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing it safe actions. See you soon! <laughs>